Welcome to the Harvest Center. Harvest Center. The 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 Harvest Center. Welcome to the Harvest Center. We're glad you're here today. Good morning. Are you ready for church this morning? Oh. Most of you are. There's a few of you that sound a bit jaded, a bit weary. But we're here to make me the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Is that right? Amen. We'd just like to welcome our guests this morning. Amal, Liberty and Family, Yuda and Cece. Visitors. It's good to have you here. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Shall we stand and shall we pray? And then I'll hand over to the worship team. Father God, we thank you this morning. That in your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence is rest. In your presence is restoration. In your presence is everything we need. So as we gather this morning, Lord Jesus, as we lift our voices... Accept our praise, Lord. And as we lift our praise, let your glory fall upon us, Lord Jesus, and rest upon us in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I've just been asked to read this psalm, Psalm 150. A psalm of praise. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to the abundance of his greatness. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and flute. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Praise him with loud cymbals. Let everything that has breath and every breath of life praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Who knows that God is great? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. If you guys want to take your seats, thank you so much for leading us this morning. So, Ken wants to come up and Jason wants to come up. We want to share a bit of the greatness of God. You know, we've been in this... Um, this uh, mission in Uganda for 15 years now. Is it 15 years? 13 years. 13 years. And, um, you know, my eldest son and my middle son both went out. Um, my middle son went out and my daughter. My middle son went out three times and it was pretty basic when he went, and I showed him some of the pictures, and he was just amazed at what God is doing in that little village. Um, so I'm going to hand over to Ken, and he's going to talk you through some slides, hopefully more slides than talking, because you know what he's like. He gets carried away, but it's good to be excited about the things of God, though, yeah. isn't it? Amen. Amen. Well done. 
Well, before we start, I did want to thank the worship group today. It's, it's, it's been good. But before we start, uh, I suppose you've already done it. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm glad you're here today, will you? I'm glad you're here. And uh, I'm not preaching, but I don't know about you. Can we just take a moment? Could we stand? Because when we were singing, you are worthy of it all. I don't know about you, but something in me just said yes, Lord. You are worthy of it all. So where you are right now, I challenge you. We're just going to take 30 seconds. Just thank him. Just tell him, you are worthy of it all. All the praise, all the glory, all the honor. I want to bless you. I want to praise you. I want to thank you. You saved my sin-ridden soul. You've made a place for me in heaven. You're coming back to take me home. I just want to bless you. And you are worthy of the praise, of the glory, of the honor, of it all. Can you say amen? Amen. Just bless the Lord. Just bless him this morning. For he is good and his mercies endureth forever. And I'm not going to preach, so take a seat. But the reason for doing that is this, that everything you see and everything you hear is the goodness of God. And he is worthy of the praise and so much more. Words cannot express the goodness of God. And I want to thank you for your giving before we start, because none of this God in, when God wants to do something in the earth, he gets people. And your giving has made a difference. You have changed life. You, you may never meet them. They may not even know who you are. But you have impacted a life. And that, for me, is the most wonderful thing that we could ever do. Yes, thank you so much. Isn't that good? You know, you give and you give, but when you see the results of your giving, that's when you start rejoicing in your heart because you see what God is doing. Amen? Let's hear some more good news. More good news. No, more about giving, actually. <laughs> All right, because we're just going to remind you we've got two more weeks left that we're going to take our special offering for Ukraine. We're doing quite well. We're helping them get some funds together to buy their winter fuel supplies. So it's a church that we're in contact with. Samuel is friends with the pastor there, so we're not just giving into any old place. We know where the money's going, and yeah, it'll make a vital difference to them because they, they just use their church for so many things, um, not just a Sunday service. It's open all week. So if you want to give to the Ukraine offering in the basket, see me at the back, or you can give online as well. There's a link on our Facebook page, I believe, or on our website. Oh, and we've got a QR code probably there in a minute. Okay, okay, okay. Right, just quickly then, some reminders. We've got Alpha starting in September, so don't forget to invite people, people, your friends, your neighbours. Uh, we've seen people come to our church because of it. Woohoo! So, we want to see more people hear the good news. So, if you anybody you're in contact with, there's invitations. Speak to Joanna about when that's starting, but yeah, that will be starting early September, so that's literally only a month, because we're nearly August. Uh, talking of early September, who remembers what's happening on that first weekend? Da, 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 da. Okay, Summer Spectacular is happening at Warren Close, Saturday the 2nd of September. 
All right, we're doing it from 11 to 1. And guys, it's all hands on deck. All right, there's going to be something for everybody to be involved in. So just at the minute, give your names to Joanna so we know what teams we can format and what help we've got. So that will be, um, yeah, so although it's 11 to 1, you might have to start earlier and finish a bit later. But that's the times um, to put in your diary, please, ready for that. And then finally, we also said last week, if your heart is for youth and young people, and, you know, we've, we've seen over the years, we have ourselves <laughs> personally have seen the youth impact our kids massively. So if you want your kids to thrive and be in church and get to know God, get them into the youth and, you know, help with the youth. It's a vital ministry in the church. So if that's something you could be involved in, please speak to oh, Joanna. <laughs> There are other people in the church, but Joanna today is your key. Just go and talk to Joanna after church. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Good morning, everyone. So um, uh, they give me this type of mic. That'd be fun. As I tend, I can hear you. You already start. So can you hear me better? So uh, that's what I was saying is that they give me this mic uh, because there is a technical issue, but that's fine. It's just that... Uh, just try to tune in. Because I'm Italian, it tends to move. I don't know why they did it, but that's what happens sometimes. So, yeah, it's been a good day so far. And, um, yeah, I'm glad to see Steve back with us. Definitely. We've been praying for him. It's good to have him back. It's also good to have uh, among us Amal and Liberty. They're a really good friend of MFG. And uh, I just spent some time with them. And uh, they don't bite. Uh, they're really friendly. And, uh, yeah, just, eh? yeah, that, that's the thing. But, yeah, if ever, uh, yeah, it's, no, they're really great people. You just want to talk to them. We, we just met them at the conference. They actually approach us, and, um, yeah, we, we, we just really start, we just really learn to appreciate them because they really have a heart for God, a heart for ministry. So, yeah, just let them feel welcome among us. And that was also great to see the work in Uganda. And uh, also wanted to say thank you, yeah, for the worship team, but also for the guys on the back, Jordan and Deliana. You really did a great job. <laughs> Many times we think that things happen for the people standing here on the stage, but actually nothing would happen without the guys on the back. So we just want to honor you guys. You really did a great job. Thank you very much. Now, um, concerning the preaching is... Um, I don't know if you have, uh, whoever was here last Sunday, and I think it was really, it was really impacted my life, what Ken was sharing, and on the same time, not only for what he said, but also because he stole a good chunk of my message. So, but actually I was encouraged by that, because it seems that we are on the same page, that there is something that God is doing in our midst. We are seeing a miracle happening, and... Uh, so talk about revival is not just something that is uh, uh, one-off, as I was saying at the end of the service last week, not something that has to go under the rug. It's just something that we heard, let's move on, what's next, new. But it's actually something to ponder. So there will be some overlapping with what uh, Ken said, because I was thinking, uh, and I think it's uh, the thought of many of the preachers, when you hear the person before you, they just give a message, ask that one. With that passion, with that power, sometimes you think, what should they do next then? 
And then actually I was just thinking, it doesn't really matter. If God has put in heart a message that's similar to his, it's because we need to have a message like that. So I just pray that, uh, yeah, the message we'll hear this evening, uh, this uh, morning, sorry, is just not uh, um, just a repetition, but maybe we can look from a different angle uh, what uh, we have said. So I would like to start with a verse that actually was shared by um, Pastor Ken last week. That would be Second Chronicles 16.9 that says that God is looking for people whose heart is loyal. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So today we're going to look at a character in particular. I would like to just really zoom in into the life of Moses. So we're going to spend most of our morning in um, the book of Exodus. We're going to read several chapters, I mean, several portions of the chapters, chapters 2 to 4. And, uh, um, yeah, let, let's look about uh, uh, his life. So just to give a little bit of context for those maybe who are not really acquainted with the story of Moses, I would like to start with uh, Exodus 2, 8 to 10. Before reading it, the story is that Moses was born in a period where uh, the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. And uh, when Pharaoh saw that there were too many kids, great idea, he wanted just to kill the male. And, uh, uh, of course, that was really a sad uh, part of history. And what they do is that the parents of uh, the mother of uh, um, Moses um, We'll just hide the kid, and then we'll put it into a basket on the river, hoping that God will take care of him. And is it where this passage comes from? Is the moment when um, the basket with the kid is found by Pharaoh's daughter, nonetheless. He takes out, uh, she takes out uh, uh, the kid from the basket, sees he's an Hebrew, and, uh, um, and that's what happens. So we read that, so the maiden went and called the child's mother, then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take the child away, nurse him for me, and I'll give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called him named Moses, saying, Because they drew him out of the water. So in this passage, we see that the child um, was uh, uh, spending the first few years of his life with his mother. And then he went into the court of Pharaoh to become actually the son of uh, uh, the daughter of Pharaoh. So the Pharaoh tends to be his grandfather. And this is something important we're going to look uh, later on. Moving fast forward, uh, um, we read another passage now. It's the continuation. is uh, verses 11 to 12. Uh, that says that uh, by now Moses was a prince in Egypt, in his 40s most probably, and uh, um, he was disquieted. That was something that uh, Ken was sharing the other week, uh, the importance of being that holy discontent. And this is what we read. As, now it came to pass in those days... When Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, this is uh, Moses. He was living in uh, the palace. He was the son of the daughter of Pharaoh, as we read before. But nonetheless, at a certain point, he just felt a burden to go and see his people, to go and see the Israelites, to see 
what was going on. Because, of course, even though he was living in a palace, he was not actually in a bubble. Most probably he must have had a servant in the house, that's what he brought. He could hear or could see what, the, what was happening around. So he had these things that although he was there, he wanted to go and see them. And there is a passage in Hebrew, 11, 24, 26, uh, that just clarifies this for us, that says that by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. So that, that's the trade that Moses was doing. We have to think about these people. So he was um, a literate person. He was studying by being the son of uh, uh, the daughter of Pharaoh, so the grandson of the Pharaoh. He had access most probably to the best teaching, to the best life, to the best philosophy of the era. And Egypt was really a, a big kingdom back then. But still, uh, he was then confronted with the Hebrew that actually were not intellectually at the same level. We're speaking about people that have been 400 years slave. So that means that people that were his contemporary have seen the, slave, the slavery when they were born, where they grew up, when they're getting older, when they're passing away. For them, it was all-time slavery. There was no, no much difference. So slavery was really built within them. That's why they felt they were a slave, and that's what they've known. They didn't know anything else but slavery. They didn't know anything else but be under the control and be just a number to do job. He was a prince. They were poor. They didn't have anything. We read later on in the Bible that actually they, they were complaining later on with Moses when they went outside Egypt. They were saying, oh, at least there we had garlic, we had onion. So that was the thing that they had. They just give us an idea the type of food that they were eating. Well, of course, Moses, by being in the palace, of course, he had something more. Then he was, uh, as I said, he was uh, also part of an elite society. The other were slave. Still today, we can see how many times people make difference. Because when you're in a position, when you're elite, when you can afford stuff, you tend to get a little bit weird, and you think that that's what it's all about. It's about status, about position. And he could have done that. He was the man. He was there. He could have done that. He had everything he wanted, because he was a prince of Egypt at the end of the day. But still, he decided, the Bible tells us, that he decided to, um, get, to um, rather suffer the affliction with the people of God, to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. Riches and comfort are fleeting. That's the thing. But the reality is that they don't really bring happiness. And this is something that uh, I think Moses understood. When before we were looking, when he was a kid, he stayed with his family. And I reckon that there he was also exposed to the teaching, to the promises that were given to the people of uh, Israel by, the, um, by their predecessors. So they knew that there was a promise of slavery when they would change, that things will get better. So he was looking to the reward, to those promises. And I was wondering that um, somehow, in some extent, uh, we have as well promises. God has promised so many things for us, especially now that we live in the New Testament. We have a better view of what things are. 
how God is moving, how many promises he has made. And I was just wondering, when I was thinking about this for myself, do I really look forward for the reward that is ahead of me? I'm looking for the things that God has promised to happen in the last days. I think it's no wonder if we look around that we are living in the last days. We don't know when, God is, will, when Jesus will come back, but we know that every day that passes by is a day closer to him. Every day that passes by, things that we see in the Bible, they will come to happen. In the last days, the Bible says you will have tribulation. Open the newspaper. Actually, nowadays, just scroll the news on the phone. So that is the thing. We are in the last days. Are we expecting those promises of our revival? Are we expecting that God will move amongst us? We have seen some healings, and that's great. But are we expecting for more? Are we excited to see more? Moses had everything. If he wanted, he could even be bothered. Just do his life, enjoying his time, and that's about it. But the Bible will tell us that if our hope as a Christian is only for this life, we are the most to be pitied. That is the thing. And so Moses, what he did is that, of course, after he, he went out to see um, uh, his uh, uh, people, he saw one that was uh, maltreated by one of the Egyptians. What he did, he takes the things in his hands, kills the Egyptian, and then he starts to run. Because he, the Bible tells us that uh, he was afraid of Pharaoh, that Pharaoh, although he was his grandfather, he had the, the idea just to kill him. He wanted to kill him for what he had done. So because he was afraid, he just left. And this is where the interesting part of the story begins. Let's read the Exodus 3, verses 1 to 3. That says this. Now Moses was standing the flock of Yetro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sign, why the bush does not burn. As I said, now Moses is in Midian. He has left everything behind. He has left his uh, life as a prince in Egypt. Uh, and ironically, he is a shepherd in Midian. I say ironically because the Bible tells us that for the Egyptian, being a shepherd was really a great job. Actually, it was uh, something that uh, um, they would find uh, as an abomination. That's what the Bible tells us. But that, that's actually is the flip side of the coin. He just ended up uh, from being a prince to being a shepherd. For being a, among the greatest, I put it in comma, among the greatest in Egypt to be a shepherd in a very small location. And yet, uh, while he was doing this, uh, Moses uh, started to get humbled. He was humbled by the experience. He was no more the person that would think he could do everything by his own end. They could take the things in his own end. But he started to become a meek person. Later on, we're going to see a little bit more than that. And what I like about this story in Exodus 3, of course, is the story of the burning bush. It's just an amazing idea about the encounter with God. However, before that, Moses, is, uh, we have told that he was in the desert. 
possibly some say that he was uh, several weeks away from uh, where uh, his family was. And uh, when he was there, um, so he found himself in a desert, in a quiet place, uh, where there was not much to do. It was not like today that if you don't know, if you're, for example, stranded at the airport or you have to wait for a bus, you take up your phone, you go into your social media, you go into Netflix. Back then, there wasn't that. So most probably he must have spent most of his time thinking about his life, about the promises, because this is what the Bibles tell us. And what is a... What I like to think about it is also the fact that uh, it was, uh, the Bible says it clearly, it was in a desert. It is a, desert is a kind of a funny place because it's where there is nothing and it's where you cannot hear voices. And it's the place where I think sometimes we should be. Places where there are noises, where there are no noises, sorry. Because there are so many times in our life, uh, we found our places uh, to hear all the time noises that are covering what God wants to tell us. We are taken by so many things that will hide the things that God wants to tell us. And we need to find a spot. I think that as a shepherd, of course, he was looking for the best grass for the animals. That actually was not even his animals, were the animals of his father-in-law. So not only was looking for that, that's true, but he also take a long road for that. And while he was in the quietness, I reckon that is the time that he was able to listen to God, he was able to see God, and this is where the moment where God appears. Are we making time in our life to see God, to spend time with him? Are we preparing the place? This is what uh, Pastor Ken also was saying. That's why I said there is a lot of overlapping, but that's exactly what he was saying. Are we preparing our hearts for that moment? Because it's true, it's up to God, it's not us. We can decide this today Let's have 10 days of prayer for revival. That's a great thing, don't get me wrong. But we cannot dictate God when he will move in. He will move in when we will see hearts that are ready. He will move in when there is space in the hearts. That's why we need to clean up our hearts. We need to make space for him. Moses needed to see God. That's why God uh, showed himself to him. Because Moses needed to see God in order to do what he did later on. Of course, he didn't know at the time, but the fact that God showed up to him, it was needed so that he would recognize, he would see God. Now, for us, what would that would mean is that we need to have a relationship with God. It's not enough that we know that there is a God. It's not enough that we know that we are attending a church where we believe God is alive. It's not enough to think, oh, in the past, God has moved in so many ways, especially in this country. You're so blessed. We are so blessed to live in a country with such a rich heritage about revival. But that's not enough. That's not enough if we live on the shoulder of our ancestors. It's not enough if we live on the memories of what has happened 100 years ago. I love revivals, and the one in the Hebrides, for those who know me, is the one that just really, to use the term of Pastor Ken, cranks you up. That, that, that's what you said, isn't it? At the beginning of your sermon last week, I, I was listening. So that's this, the thing, is that is one of the things that get you excited, and for me is that revival. Thinking about two old ladies, one of them was blind. They couldn't do much. There was not much to do, but they prayed. And when they prayed, God started to move. 
because their hearts were ready, were in the right place uh, to allow God to move. But that is for another, another time. So Moses saw the burning bush, uh, and of course, uh, a burning bush in the desert, uh, they say that it's kind of a common sight, because it's dry, because it's hot, so it's easy that it can take fire, it can burn, uh, but the thing is that, uh, in this case, the, bur the, the bush was burning, but not getting consumed. Now, I was thinking, if Moses was so accustomed to see bushes that were burning, why didn't care at that point to turn? He could have just gone straight his own road, right? He could have just gone for his own life, not to be bothered. But the Bible tells us that actually he turned aside. So he took a detour. He left the road that he wanted to take. He left the plans that he had, in a, if you want to put it in a different words, just to go and see what was happening. Are we willing to leave the things that we are planned, all the things that we are putting our effort in, in order to see those things that God is moving? There must be this willing, and this is what Moses did. He just left. The Bible tells us that he turned aside. So he didn't say that, well, he just stumbled on it. Is it? Well, he saw it, he stopped it. But actually, it just went on the other way. We don't know how far it was, but that doesn't matter. What counts is a choice that he did in a specific moment that would impact and change not only his life, but it would affect so many other people. When we take a choice, when we take this detour, this holy detour, they're not just for us. It's not for Giuseppe to feel better because he has an experience with God. It's not for uh, Amal, for Steve, for Jonathan, for any one of us, just to feel better because, oh, I had an encounter with God. That's not just for us. It's for the people of God. It's for God himself. When we do what we do, it's not because we just want to do it because we like our voice or we want to be on the stage. It's just because we want to do it for all the other people that we represent in the assembly. And this is what... Uh, what happened? Later on, Moses, that was a man who before was trying to sort out the things by himself. He had a burden to the Egyptian, but he thought he could do it by himself. Now he's called to go by the power of God, to do exactly what he wanted to do, to have exactly that burden that he had for his people to come to pass. Because even though we desire to do the thing, if God is not in it, there is no point of doing them. Because they will not have the same success they, will success. they will not have the same outcome that when God is there. A decision had to take place. He needed to step out of the way, go in the extra mile. And as I said, this changed his life forever. So as we carry on reading, verses 4 and 6, always of chapter 3, it tells us that when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not draw near to this place. Take your sandal off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now, without going into the details of... Uh, um, and the fact that when uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, that it was a, a theophany, so that was uh, Jesus in the Old Testament showing up, uh, is not the, 
what I would like to talk today, but what I wanted to think about and what I wanted to open up a little bit was uh, this idea of uh, standing on holy ground. An holy ground that was not due for the type of soil, it just was normal soil. 200 meters apart would have been exactly the same soil, wouldn't have been holy. What was holy is that God was in there, it was the presence of God. And the Bible tells us that uh, God is within us. So for an extent, uh, you are carrying holy ground wherever you go. But the thing is that what you do with that? The Holy Spirit is within us. What do we do with that? How do we deal with the sacred things of God? And God here said clearly that you have to take out your sandal. You have to humble yourself. You cannot stand with those things on your feet. You just have to come as you are in my presence. Holiness of God is nothing else to see that he is separated. He doesn't like sin. He is separated from it. He's one of his equality, he's his purity. He's perfectly good all time. And in Isaiah, actually, we, he, we read that is the only word that is repeated three times. Usually they say that when there is twice a repetition, that's important, listen to it. That's why God, Jesus was saying during his ministry, ministry, when it was something very important, was saying, truly, truly. But in Isaiah, we read, in Isaiah 6.3, we read that uh, the angel was singing, uh, or was saying, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. There is this importance in the Bible about the holiness of God. And God introduces himself like the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. These were the figures that were attached to promises that we read before in Hebrew, Abraham was looking for. There were promises, and God introduces himself as the God of those promises. And it's the same for us. If we go and seek him, he will introduce himself with the God who is the healer for you, with the God of salvation for you and your family, as we read in Acts 16:31. He is the God who is able today to raise an army of people that are praying and seeking his refuge. This is what it's about. And God introduced himself also by saying, I am. This is the name that uh, he, he gave when, of course, uh, Moses started to ask, well, what should they say? Send me. Because usually that's the thing, no? It's like, for example, when uh, if I had to ask, uh, for example, Steve, if he was leading, someone asked me, can you ask Steve? So I said, well, someone asked me, you can do it. I just wanted to back me up with some authority. Just let him know, you know, uh, if you can do it. So that, that was great. But that's is the idea behind is the fact that uh, God was saying um, to, to Moses, if they ask you, just say, I am. And what, uh, like uh, um, Pastor Ken said, is that he was introducing himself like the all-sufficient God. This is sufficient for everything. There is no lack. There is no missing. There is everything you need. It's in God. Let's keep reading verses 7 to 10 as we continue to read in this chapter. And it says, And the Lord said, You have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmaster. For I know their sorrow. So I have come down to deliver them out of the end of the Egyptian and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, 
and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and they have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now in this passage, there are several things that are uninteresting what God is saying. And uh, when we read is that he said that uh, he has seen, heard, and known. As a result, he came down. And as a result, he bring up the people. And one thing that I realized uh, is that isn't the same that Jesus has done for us. He has seen our situation. He has come down to earth to live like a man, to die on the cross, to be the perfect sacrifice, so that we be lifted up from a life of misery and from a destiny that was down in the hell. There's always been a recurring theme also there. That was exactly the same thing that God was doing. He said, I've seen them. I've seen them struggling. I'm not unaware of what is happening. You may think I am, but actually I'm not. I have come down, so he has taken a step. It's like in the case of the prodigal son in Luke 15, if I'm not mistaken. When he sees the son, he runs towards him. I'm not a father, but maybe I might have been cross. He has spent everything, he has squandered everything, and then he's coming back. The first reaction wouldn't be, oh, I just ran after him. But that's what God does. Every time he's running towards you, as soon as you do a step, as soon as you come back. Now, why this is important? It's because as a Christian, we need to go back to the basic. We need to go back to God. It's good to be here. It's good to be part of a church. But there is more. Are we that hungry to see him moving among us? Or are we just living out of the reaches of the Father? And they're just fattening ourselves up? Sorry. But it's... What I mean is that, you know, when you're just living out of the goodness, but we are not actually taking a step, we're not taking a decision to see him moving, to see his name glorifying in this place. We just go day by day in our life, like nothing is happening, it's always good, always the same, but is God glorified in that, actually? That is the thing. Is God moving in there? We just live of the, you know, it's, it's like when there is that passage of the, crumble. It's true that also the dog needs the crumbles. That's what was said to the Syrophoenician woman. But let's not just leave of the past. Let's leave the past. Let's not just leave out of what God has done in this country. What that the church has seen in the past here. Let's leave for what I can see now. That is my generation. That is where I am at at the moment. I get excited for that. God is still in, this in the business to watch him for people. We read at the beginning, the passage in First Chronicle, that he's looking for people that are loyal. He's still willing to come down. Actually, he lives in us. He lives among us. But he's willing to move even further to bring people out of their misery, to save them. It's good to see miracles. It's good to things happening. But the best thing is about revival, you know what it was, is that the name of God was glorified. That the, that the, the ambience, that the, what do you say, uh, the, the way of living was changing. Like, for example, in the Welsh revival, in 1904-06, 
many people get saved that actually pub had to close. People were living in the mine, were working in the mining. They were usually swearing at their animals. The animals were not listening to them anymore because they were actually not swear anymore. But these are when the temperature, when the ambience change, when there is a change in the pace of society. Many times when we read things in the newspaper, I've realized that we tend every time to complain about the things that are happening. And I was thinking, shouldn't we as a Christian spend more time in saying the things that God can do, that things can happen? Speaking about something, how wrong it is, or how bad it is, does it change it? No, it doesn't. It's just exactly the same. We have just spoken about it. But if we believe, as the Bible says, that the words that we said say have an importance, then it means that instead of spending time to say, oh, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, why don't we say God bless that situation? God intervene, God move down, God move among us, change my life, and if my life has to be spent, if my life has to be also put in ridicule for your own sake, let it be so. And is it there when things happening? Of course, Moses was arguing with God at the beginning, like Gideon, when we saw last week. He was saying, well, actually, you want to send me back there? As if he was saying, you don't remember that I just killed someone, that there is a warranty on my head? I'm not even good in speaking, he said. That's why then God was so gracious to give him Aaron to go with him. So he was finding an excuse that was nothing else than that. Indeed, an excuse. But at the end, however, Moses went. I think he was aware about the cost. He was aware, what does it mean at 80 years of age to leave everything, to go back to the very place where he came out not really dignified. People might still remember. And the people he wanted to save were those that when he tried to save one of them, just rebelled against him. That's where exactly the kind of people Moses was going to look. But still he went. And we know the rest of the story. God used him mightily, and God really made great things through him. To God be the glory, not to the man. Let it be clear. But what I want to recognize is that the man played his part. I want to be one of those men. I want for everyone to be one of those men. And of course, women. When I say men, I mean men and women. Because all of us, we have that potential as long as we make room for God to move. Nothing is impossible. You know, you might think, well, what has to do this with revival? That's a fair question. Let's read uh, chapter 4, verses 29 to 31. This is the end of, uh, I mean, this is the end. This is the end of chapter 4, but it's the beginning of uh, um, when Moses spoke uh, to uh, the leaders of Israel. And that's what it said. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the sign in the sight of the people. And now it's the, the important bit. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their head and worshipped. That's a revival. 
That's what it is. It's a revival. So what he did, they were still, I mean, bear in mind, they're still in Egypt. If it was an evening meeting, let's say, they were going to bed, following morning, go around to get uh, bricks done. That's what they was expecting for them. But in that, they were able to rejoice. In that, they were able to worship the Lord. Why? Because a man took a detour and uh, decided to obey God. That's the power of our life. Our life are not just here for the sake of being here. It's not. It's not. We're here to give glory to God with our lives. That's what is revival. You know, it's good to see it's good to see healing. It's good to see salvation. But how much more is to see the name of God that is glorified. To see him being on the mouth of people instead of being bad words or being bad things. Being able to go around and just greet you, just encourage you. Like the Bible says, when you gather together, just go with a psalm, a song, a word of encouragement. What if this would be something that you can do around the street of Brandon every day? What if, if the spiritual reality of this area would be when people will be attracted to it? Matthew 11 is, I don't think it's in the note uh, uh, that they give to Jonas, so it's my bad. Matthew 11, 7 to 10 is the story when uh, um, John the Baptist was put into prison. He started to have some doubt. He was a, a man like us. And he sent his disciple to go and speak with Jesus, saying, but you are the one? And he said, well, just tell him. Blind see, leper are cleansed, the, the deaf hear, the good news is, uh, is spread. So, well, they were happy. Ah, okay, let, let's go bring him back. But after, what he says, he said to the crowd, that's what the Bible says, but he said to the crowd, what did you go to see? Speaking about John the Baptist, because he was known. And they went, what did you go to see? He said, you go to see something. Let's, uh, I'm paraphrasing here. I'm not uh, actually reading. But what he's saying is that, are you going to see something like this interesting out of the blue? But he says, he is the one preparing the way. That's what he said. And he said it to the crowd. He is the one preparing the way. He was the one I prophesied about. And I was thinking, how much do we need today for people like John the Baptist to be among us, to prepare the way for God to move? You know, God can, move, can do everything without us. He doesn't need us. If he is, as he is, all-powerful, all-sufficient, he actually doesn't need us, but he decides to do that. He decides to have us as a partner, and the thing is, the partnership with him is just a funny one. We bring the bad, he just gives the good. We bring the trouble, he sorted it. We bring the message, he brings the message. We bring the message, he brings the message. So that's the type of God that we serve. That's the type of God we should be excited to serve. You know, it's, and we can do all our bits. You know, it's like I was thinking yesterday evening. Uh, yesterday, actually, not evening, but it was Friday evening. The, uh, by living here, there are uh, the, one of the good things is that uh, you can meet people, 
outside uh, the um, church hours, let's say. And uh, those guys that have been singing here this morning, they were there. Ileana is arriving at 4 p.m. The other arrived at 5. They left uh, between 9 and 10. Why did he die? Well, I hope that it's not because they didn't have anything better to do. But the thing is, it's not to, it's not to exalt them, but just to see, you see, that, that's an example. What on earth they spend five hours here if it was not because they think it's worthy to praise the Lord? That they think it's worthy to be an instrument to help the church to worship God. Now, that's the thing. It's our things that we all of us can do. Yesterday evening, there was a prayer meeting. And um, it was a good one. Thank you for everyone who's uh, coming. And uh, it happened that, uh, not something that we do very often, we start to pray for one another. We start to pray for uh, several of us among us. And we did, um, in the biblical way, in the biblical term of Ken, we slapped the hand on Steve. That's what we did. For a moment, there was a thought to slap something else on him, but we remained with the hand. But what I mean is that for a moment, I was just thinking, as I said, about that word of Ken. How many times we had the opportunity to do things? How many times? The issue is that, do we want to take that opportunity? Do we want to go the extra mile? You know, we could have been there, praying as we usually do, nothing bad, by all means, calm. The invitation is open. But the thing is, I was thinking, it really challenged me, that word. I was saying, uh, why you don't do it? It's easy to speak. It's way harder to do it. You know, at the end of the day, the, the message of the gospel, it's simple. The trick is that it's not easy if you're not willing to do it. But the message is very, very simple. To a man to, whose daughter was dying, just as word is given, only believe. Was not asked to do much, but believing he created the environment for his faith to raise up. God moved, and when he went back, his daughter was uh, up to her feet. It's exactly the same thing that can happen here. I do believe that. I don't know if in the future uh, Jenny will share something that's shared with some of us in the leadership team, but the gist was that she had a dream about revival. I don't know if one day she, she will share it. I think there will be a benefit for the church. But it was really interesting to see how God is speaking to several people about this need, about the fact that we really need to push through. Let's not live on the things of the past. You know, many times the people say, oh, what's the legacy you can leave? <laughs> My accent? That <laughs> could be one. But actually, the thing is this, what about the legacy? I want to live in the present. Pushing forward towards the future. Legacy, praise the Lord for if there has been any good in the past. But what now? Paul, guided by the Holy Spirit, he says, you know, all the things, it doesn't really matter. I push forward. I want to see, because this best has yet to come. Tomorrow we have 100 people. Oh, that's great. Best has yet to come. What about 200? Oh, we have 200. What about 300? What about we have to demolish this building and build a bigger one? Oh, money, 
time. Mm. Let's do it. Let's hope that we can flatten this place and just use all the space around. It's not convenient. But if we see God's glory, oh yeah, that's worth it. That's worth it. And this is the story of Moses. Moses, uh, the Bible tells us that all the people in the, in the Bible were not like the Marvel superheroes. They could do this, this, and that because they were special. You're special for the gift that he's put in a earthly vessel. That is the thing. That God makes us special. All of us, no one is excluded. So don't look if you can just maybe do something that you think, oh, but that's not really worth it. Just do it. Whatever your hands find to do it, do it. Everything that you do. Someone came uh, this morning to me, and they said, you know what? I've discovered that uh, everything that your hands you find to do it, just do it. Actually, he didn't say discover. He just says that uh, what he was doing is because uh, everything you do, is you do it unto the Lord. It was really an encouraging thought. And that's what is our life about. Let us put God. And this is a quote. It's not mine, so I don't take credit. But I really like it. It says, let us put God between us and difficulties instead of putting difficulties between God and us. And that's what we do. So many times when God is saying, if my people are called by my name, they repent, they come back, I do great things. They say, yeah, but nah, it's difficult. I don't want to do it. It hurts my pride. It hurts to do this. And these are all difficulties that put between us and the blessing, between us and God moving. We don't know God's timing. I really want to see revival, but I don't know when it's going to happen. As I said, it's not something that we can fabricate. But what we can do is to be ready. Now we are in summer, and um, especially down in Italy, uh, like every year, it gets very hot. Ground gets very dry. Then there is a big rain, and all the water just washes away everything is on the path. And every time what they see, oh, the town was not prepared. And that's exactly like our life. If our lives are not prepared, the blessing can come. It just pass you over. You know, like if there is oil, just go. It's for us to be ready. I would like to close just by reading, this time also about a book. For those who are uh, quite... Uh, a while in the faith, you might remember that uh, several years ago, I guess, about 15 years ago, one of the movies that came out was called The Face in the Giant. I don't know how many remember that, that movie. It's a very interesting movie. It's a very beautiful movie. But what I liked the most was a secondary character. That was a Mr. Bridge, for those who remember. And then we read exactly how it is here from the book. There were just a few lines. 17 pages. That says like this. In the movie Facing the Giant, Grant Taylor, a discouraged football coach at Shiloh Christian Academy, gets an expected spiritual lesson from Mr. Bridge, a prayer warrior. When the coach tells Mr. Bridge, I just don't see God at work here. I think we can relate at times. We think, well, God is not moving. That's what he says. The prayer warrior responds with a story. Grant, I heard a story about two farmers who desperately needed rain. 
Both of them prayed for rain, but only one of them went out and prepared his field to receive it. Which one do you think trusted God to send the rain? Well, the one who prepared its fields for it. Which one are you? Very simple story. But that's the thing. Which one are you? I want to be those who prepare in the ground. But I can do for me. You know, as much as I like you, I cannot do it for you. You cannot do it for me. But I want to prepare the ground. Oh, but I have never done it before. Start today. They say that a journey starts with a single step. You know, it's easy to say, oh, I would like to go there. Well, just start to move if you want to go somewhere. That's the thing. Start to move. Do your bit. Worship the Lord. Spend time with him. That's the good thing is that you don't even have to do miles or do extravagant things to be with the Lord. Just grow yourself. Just give 10 minutes a day of your time to God. Then goes 15, then 20, and then they have to call you to come out of the closet. That's it. Because when you are exposed to God, when you really have God in your life, moving, and you give space, it takes space. And they start to do things. He start to move among us, and we will see great things happening. I believe that. I said already last week, and I stand on what I said. Please go back and listen to the preaching of Ken. It was more on revival. It was really worth it. was really challenging. But if you take something for today, which one of the two farmers are you? I would like to ask you to stand up, if you can, please. As we are closing, I just would like to spend some time uh, in quietness where we can examine ourselves. As I said, this type of uh, things is not something that uh, I can do for you and you can do for me. You cannot even do for your spouse how much as you love her or him. You cannot do for your kids as much as you love them. But you can do it for yourself. You can be an example and others will follow. That's why we always speak about role model, and every time we expect that uh, other people will be role model for us. Shouldn't we be today the role model? Let's start with me. When Isaiah was called by God, God said, who shall I send? He didn't send, well, send Jeremiah. He's good, darling. No, he said, send me. Send me. Don't go any farther. Send me. Don't pass by. Send me. I want to be the one. I want to, want to be the one seeing you moving in our lives. And this is something that we all can do. I just would like, as I said, close your eyes. Let's pray as the band is coming up. Let's just uh, spend some time uh, thinking about what has been said both last week and this week. And just realize where I am at with my life. If there should be a revival today, will it be my heart ready to receive that river? Would I be among those that God can use? Would I be among those that God will find standing on the gap for this nation? So let's just pray about that. Let's spend some time in prayer and then leave it to the Lord.